Hi, this is Morgan Rhodes. Uh, we wanted to let you know that when we recorded the Saul Williams episode, he and I went off on an Atlanta, Georgia tangent. As we were both students at HBCUs across the street from each other, he at Morehouse, me at Clark Atlanta University in the mid-90s. And so it took us down a road. And here's a little bit of where that road took us. Yo, but you went to plastics, yo! Listen, I can't believe you. There were so many places that I went to in Atlanta where yo. I thought, how did I get here? And so many strange nights where anything could happen, Funk Jazz Cafe. and Atlanta was such an amazing moment musically at that time. If you want to hear more of this, you'll have to stay tuned to the end of the episode and check it out on Bonus Beats. You don't want to miss this stroll back down memory lane. Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us about a heat rock, an album that just burns eternally. And today, we are rewinding it back one quarter century to 1994 and the debut album by Portishead, Dummy. Mm. In my line of work, people say to me often, yo, you ain't heard nothing like this. This is on something different. And for better or for worse, that's generally true. But it was real true in the summer of 1994, three years after three kids from Bristol formed a band named after a coastal property in their hood they described as dreary. Portishead was its name, a name that will forevermore be synonymous with the dawn of trip-hop, a sandwich of a genre made of sadness and samples and singers like Beth Gibbons, who on song after song sang us from shook to seduction to smithereens. Yo, were we breaking up or making love? Hell, was danger lurking around the corner? Or was that thing that went bump in the night just your baggage? With Beth, you weren't really knowing all that. But you could say with certainty that Isaac Hayes on a loop was just what you needed your pain to be wrapped in. Jeff Barrow, Adrian Utley, and Beth on their debut album, Dummy, were a lot of things. Composers and music supervisors, creators of a sonic aesthetic. Scratches and spooky and reverb and wailing. The kids today would call it a whole mood, but that would be just the instrumentals. Add in lyrics like, I can't understand myself anymore because I'm still feeling lonely, feeling so unholy, and it's a whole confession. Wandering Star, Numb, and Pedestal aren't necessarily existential crises on wax. They are, to me, ordinary pain. Shout out to Stevie Wonder. The pain of a woman who knows a thing or two, who's been knowing a thing or two. To understand the 11 tracks that make up this heat rock is to understand the sour times that created 90s angst, incessant overcast weather, and the phrase, it's complicated. Pitchfork calls this album, quote, straight up discomfort food, curl up and die music, head under the covers music, end quote. Agreed. And I call it a heat rock. Medicine for melancholy. Maudlin, morose, dummies. Dummy was the album pick of our guest today, Saul Williams. He is an OG multi-hyphenate. Poet, dash rapper, dash actor, dash author, dash songwriter, dash performer. I remember when he first broke out in the mid-90s, thanks to his success on the slam poetry circuit and the movie he helped to write and act in Slam from 98. In the 20 years since, his output has been so dense and accomplished that we could spend this entire time just going through all of them. But suffice to say, he seems possessed by a creative energy that could power a supernova. Mm -hmm. In just the last few years, he's been on Broadway with the Tupac-inspired musical, Holler If You Can Hear Me. He starred in the French Senegalese film, Tay Today. He published another book of poetry, Us, A. And he stays recording albums, his most recent having just come out this summer, Encrypted and vulnerable. Mm. 
Saul Williams, welcome to Heat Rocks. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel like Dummy was one of those albums that landed with such a splash that you would have heard it no matter what your musical taste was. It was just inescapable in, you know, 94, 95. Yeah. How did you first come across this album? I was living in Brooklyn. I literally had uh, just come back from my first trip to the continent. Mm -hmm. Um, I had spent about a month in in Senegal, the Gambia, and Mali. Uh, I was starting NYU grad school, moved to New York, August of 94. Ah. And across from NYU is Tower Records. Mm. Or was, but back was, then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember the was. location. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, then across from that was other music. Yes, other, oh my God. Yeah. Take and, me back. Exactly. And so, in fact, I went to other music. Yeah. Um, and I was, um, you know, on the cusp of of hearing about and, and talking about, I was already deeply into drum and bass. Yeah. I was interested at that point in anything coming out of Bristol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see this album. And I decided, check it out. Yeah. I was already, I think I'm already listening to uh, Massive Attack. Yeah. Um, Young Disciples. There's yeah. a bunch of shit popping off. But I check this. I take it home and my life has changed. Damn. My life has changed. I mean, this album, um, the way that it hit me. Mm. The way that I would term it then, because um, I would bring people over to my house to listen to this album. <laughs> One person I brought over to listen to this album was Yasin Bey, for example. Mm. The people I would bring, like, you got you to hear this. And it would, it would only be this. It would be like this uh, uh, album by Tricky. Um, I think Nearly God was out then. Mm, if, mm. You know, like, I'm... I'm Trying sure. to figure out when all these things came out, but there, yeah, but Tricky emerges in the same yeah, era tr- as well. Yeah. Right, Tricky. There's a there's a Bjork album there. I don't think Homogenic isn't out yet until '96. I don't think. Right, but there's but she's but already po- moving in that post direction. Post is close. Post Post yeah. is maybe out. Yeah, yeah, it's but it's close. all in this circle. Yeah, it's all yeah. in this circle, and it's all in my five disc changer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, which, which answers the question. You cop this off on, on CD. I copped it on CD. Okay. I copped it on CD, and my first thought was, oh, this must be what heroin feels like. Did you really want? Did you really want? Did you really want? Did you really want? We need to take a moment to just shout out um, five CD changers. They've come up a lot on Heat Rocks. And let's just take a few moments to just shout that out. That was Yo. an early tool of curation Yo. Uh, that people are really not up on. But it was about what, was, y- your yeah. starting five. It was about your starting five. It was such, I remember what I kept there for months, which was Portishead Dummy. I also had that release that they had done for the film that came out before Dummy. They did, I don't remember the name of the film, but there's a, a sort of a, a EP Okay. Mm-hmm. That right. They put out before right, right. then with with music for this film that they had done, and uh, so those two were there. And then there's um, Tricky, there's Bjork, and maybe uh, is it Goldie or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real quick, Morgan, to your point, the thing that I always liked about, and I if I have to imagine we're talking about the same kind of five disc changer, so it's not <laughs> the kind that has. The vertical cassettes, but rather it's the carousel. Yeah, yeah. It's carousel. And when it comes out, it, it's already spinning. And something about the yep. aesthetic of that, I never had one of those, but I always loved just seeing oh, that. Yeah. Super cool. It was. It, it was really was. Cool. Shout out to whoever like, invented yeah. that. Maybe Shout it was Sony, out. whatever. But Shout yeah. out. It was, a, it was a great design. They were awesome. Of course, the, the feature that was awesome was Shuffle. Yes. Oh, my God. Right? Instant jukebox. Yeah. So the Shuffle feature was great. Yeah, it was the beginning of being able to listen to that many different albums of course we're still dealing with a time when uh even the cd you know that the booklets inside oh, of sure. the cd were kind of thick sure. at times you know and so we could like i remember some of the tricky artwork i remember the artwork still i remember sitting there still opening up the the booklet inside the cd and reading about it and the whole nine like sure. we were still doing that i mean if it hadn't been i think for for CDs and CD changers, I don't think I would have invested as much time 
in listening because once you committed mm. to putting your CDs in the changer, you didn't touch that thing. That's you, you <laughs> put in your five, yep. <laughs> and if you put it on shuffle, you don't touch that thing. Yep. And then you hear those songs. You hear you know these are the '90s. We're talking about interludes and, yeah. and, and and intros and all that stuff was important. The liner notes. Yeah. And if you've gone through all that you had to go through to unwrap a CD, you gonna <laughs> listen to the whole thing. If yeah. you pull that plastic yeah, yeah, off, you definitely listen to the whole thing. <clears throat> you got to commit to it. Tower Records though used to sell the CD openers that had the little razor safety razors tucked inside <laughs> yep. and just slide it across. And, oh, and, and I ain't had those though. I ain't had those. those yeah, I didn't have that either. No, so I, I just had to nail. just like that's. So after you go through all that you know so morgan did this album cross your path in 94 it did cross my path in 94 and it crossed my path in atlanta yeah uh, because i was living there right and uh okay cool cool you were living in atlanta in 94 i moved from atlanta in 94 yeah i went to clark i was there in 92 to 96 okay i was there from 90 to 94 at morehouse okay all right shout at hbc hbcus for sure and so there was a lot of great music happening during that during that time period, not Big just ninety four, but shout out to ninety four. But but yeah. but those years, ninety two to ninety six. Oh come on, ninety two to me is like the greatest year in hip hop ever, for sure. Which is funny because I was going to say that I feel like ninety four would be the other contender for that, and we can get into this later. Ninety four is great. Ninety four is great. Ninety two, nothing touches ninety two yeah. in my book. Let's go down this tangent. So what's what? What are the apps in ninety two that instantly come to mind then that help help designate that year as being the greatest year? But there's a daily operation. Live for the minute, and they're all wrapped up in it. It's an unfortunate state. For many, it's too late. Now death stalks the streets, and it's right at your gate. So bug, lose your mind, but I ain't going insane. I kick the fly lyrics, because ain't no shame in my game. Yep. Um, I don't know. I remember if that's the exact year, but it's. It, I'm talking about 92. I even went to the new music seminar that year in 92. So you also have... Um, Leaders of the New School. Mm. Um, I mean, Pete Rock. You have yeah. Pete Rock and Seal Smooth. Back Smooth. Back in the yeah. You have these weird things in 92, like, like, uh, Fushnikin type of, uh, <laughs> uh, uh Das Effects. Yeah. Das Effects. You they ha- want effects, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have, you have all that stuff. You have, um, there's, Brand Nubian is still making noise. Yeah. Um, the, the, I Diamond mean, D. Diamond show, D. Yeah. AG. Oh my God. Showbiz and AG. I like my pockets. I mean, like, there's crazy stuff <laughs> yeah, going in 92. <laughs> but all through that, all through that era, because yeah. right, right after that, we start getting into, like, Nas and Wu-Tang right. and Shiggy sure. and all this the stuff. The Chronic? Yeah, the yeah. Chronic. Still the chron- yeah, the Chronic still 93, have, is 93. 92, but it's it 92. blows up in 93. 93. It comes yeah, yeah, out late yeah. 92. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a crazy year for me. And yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, you mentioned Bristol, and there was a lot going on in sort of that outgrowth of dance and mm-hmm. garage. So the early 90s, I was obsessed with like acid jazz. You mentioned. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brand new heavies. Brand new heavies. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, uh, the year this came Jamiroquai's out. Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai yep. is doing shit there. Jaleesa, Young Disciples. Oh, exactly. And then wow. you've got that whole sort of family, that incestuous family of drum and bass, garage. Oh, yeah, Project 23. You had to dig to find the drum and bass in the States. Right. And then I it was started, all white label stuff. Yeah, like and I never, started listening yeah. to drum right. and bass in Atlanta at that time. Right. And that was like when DJ Disciple would come to the masquerade or Plastics. Do you remember Plastics? Of the course. Club? Of you course. went to Plastics? <laughs> Yo! I tell people about Plastics, they think I'm lying. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. the Phoenix. The Phoenix, early Funk Jazz Cafe. And, exactly, Funk Jazz Cafe. Yeah, early Ying Yang, I used to sneak into Loretta's. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. all that's popping off. Plus, I'm in New York, so going to all the shelter and Kilimanjaro and all this. Sure. In New York as well. The, yeah. It's a moment for music, for house music as well. For sure. It almost kind of leads you into Portishead. Mm. Because sure. we had already had like, uh, you know, it's late 80s when you have like Soul to Soul. And I bring that up because in my mind, it's the UK that helped me first hear R&B style singing over hip hop beats. Oh. In Omar. that sense. Yeah. Talk to you softly, make you react. Yeah. Yeah. 
long as it's something you're giving back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Soul yeah. to Soul like was right. was the big like Huge. however do you you know like yeah. that beat would drop and we'd be like this is some New York shit what the fuck sure. is you know what I'm saying like it was sure. not the expected beat and so for me as a New Yorker leading back to Porter said Dummy the thought to me was oh this is like a game of telephone like it's coming from the South Bronx yeah and people keep sending that message and it gets around and it comes back in the form of this white girl from Bristol singing the blues. Yep. This album feels like dating somebody that's really sexy and also really depressed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. Uh, I remember I went through this moment here where it was like, okay, there was like this. There's like Fiona Apple. There's a bunch of shit, and I and I'm plus the stuff that I'm reading literature wise, and mm. I'm thinking like, mm. I started questioning myself, like, what do I have with suicidal white women? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because this album kind of this epitomized that. I don't think it was just modeling for the sake of modeling, and I don't think that it was a shtick either. No, there's pain in Beth Gibbons' voice. There's real pain and prophecy yep as a as a fan of both sort of this uk sound that you're talking about and hip-hop without the beats i don't know if i would have stayed with it either i needed those beats beats, because that's the thing if we want to talk about 94s we're talking about primo we're talking about pete rock we're talking about all this stuff that's popping off in you i mean i lived in brooklyn right i i mean i was hearing buster rhymes mob deep I was definitely hearing Nas. Biggie was, comes out def- that year. Yeah, I yeah. was yes. definitely hearing Biggie. I mean, like, the streets of Brooklyn were banging because it was fucking Brooklyn in 94. <laughs> I mean, it was fucking crazy. And I was choosing to go home and turn this on because it was such a fucking vibe. Right. And it was such a winning vibe. Anybody you brought to your crib was like, yo. Who is this? What is this? <laughs> yo. What struck me in revisiting this, listening to now, is that not only, and this speaks to the points that both of you are making, I mean, this album masters the art of atmosphere, unlike oh, yes. really, I mean, it is yes. at the pinnacle of, a, of an atmospheric yes. album. And it manages to do it in a way in which it's really hard to have both consistency, but not tip it over into monotony. And this album, I think, skirts that razor's edge as close as I can imagine without tipping over to the other side. Sure. Because, it never goes to monotony. Right. Yeah, it's right. crazy. Because I think once we got into, once trip hop became a thing yeah. and they started putting out compilations, then some of it started to be sameness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. it didn't stand out as, as much. Right. But we got to say that what I liked about this album and some of the other standouts, and we can talk about them later, was they did this thing that we're talking about, marrying beats and marrying vibe and marrying these vocals. They did it well. And the women that were around this movement yeah. all had really distinct voices. That, Martina Topley Bird. For sure. Bjork. Bjork. Estero. Estero. We talked about Estero. Yep. Um, Baby from Morchiba. Trigger mm-hmm. Hippie. Yep. I think you had to have, and I don't think yeah. that was a shtick, but there was something that, that, that those voices conjured up. These are also, to me, kind of children of Nana Cherry. Um, I, I mean, I know that first Massive Attack album was basically recorded mm. in her kitchen, mm-hmm. you know? And there's there's something that, yeah, there's, there's something that relates to her and her voice and vibe as well um, in, in this for me, you know, when I think of just the, the, the people that might have influenced that moment. But for me, this made me want to visit that city, especially by the time a year or so had passed, because then it was like it was 
Porter said, then I had to have more, you know. So then I started listening to Tricky Nearly God and Max and Q. And, and, uh, yeah, it's all that t- same moment. And, and, and then getting deeper into the drum and bass shit. I'm like, all this shit is from the Bristol? The Metalheads. Yeah, Metalheads, Goldie. Yep. All of y'all are from Bristol? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is Bristol, yo? What's in the water? What the fuck? Yeah. Did you listen to the album from start to finish? Did you get stuck on any particular track or did you just let it go? Okay, so I let it go. And I'm and in fact I'm kind of casually cool with it until I get to one song, the end. This song is really the theme song of my fucking life, in that it's in every relationship I've ever been in, in every since this song came out, mm. we could turn to this song and be like, yeah, this for me too. This song, Glory Box. For I've been a temptress too long Wait a second, though. I just have to say, I mean, that's really cool what you played. But the thing that makes this song extraordinary is the break. This is a beginning of forever and ever. One, the message. Give me, give me a reason to love you. Give me a reason to be a woman. And then that moment when she goes, because this is the beginning of forever. To me, I hear that the same way I hear, I want all the boys to drop out. Da, da, da. I want to give the drummer some, mm-hmm. the funky drummer. That moment when James Brown pulls back and says, no, 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 give the drummer some. I want, you gotta, don't change a thing. You got to keep what you got because it's a mother. That's what he says mm-hmm. in the funky drum. I've, I've, it's always don't you know like been strong to be the fact that he the birth of hip hop and that fucking breakbeat moment in the song starts with him saying, "I want when I count to three, I want everybody to drop out the drummer. I want you to keep what you got. Don't change a thing because it's a mother." And then happens, and a whole genre is born with this song. When she goes, "This is the beginning." of forever and ever that beat in 1994 in Brooklyn <laughs> that was it Yo. that was it I love that song but I fell in love with that beat mm-hmm. when Tricky used it on Hell's Around the Corner Yep. the very oh, next family. year I think it says a lot that this album, even though, and we can get into this later, that it is obviously built from prominent samples, but the fact that so many artists almost instantaneously begin sampling it, which is not something you heard. Sure. Right? If you're making an album, regardless of the genre, in 95, you're not trying to sample something from a year before because mm-hmm. that just makes you look like a biter, right? right. Mm-hmm. People didn't care. This no. album was so powerful. You got rappers, you got drum and bass arts, whatever. They're using this as source material within years, not even a year practically. And that is astounding in terms of you think about the influence of this and just the way in which it lands in that moment. And And it feels like they're not just sampling the sample, they're sampling the moment. And Mm, part of the way these samples are used, you can't recreate what happened on this album because you need vibe for that. That's pure vibe. And you need Beth for that. You need Beth. I mean, I even listen to the Beak stuff right now. Oh, sure. You know, which is dope. And and when it gets really dope, I'm like, whew, if Beth came in right now. <laughs> shout, shout out to Beth right now. Yeah. Shout out to, yeah, shout yeah, out to yeah, Beth. Yeah. But the thing, you know, I remember trying to figure out, like, because the other thing that's interesting about this moment for me is it's really just before I start making music. Yeah. You know? And and so the reason why I love Tricky, for example, is because I felt like it was him who gave me license. Because mm. I was like, oh, 
oh, there is room for weirdness. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. And so the first shit I ever do with like um, Lyricist Lounge, I'm inspired by Tricky mm. when I go into the studio. I'm, I'm inspired by Tricky. Sure. I remember trying to figure out and finding articles. And of course, you couldn't look online at that time um, so much in right. terms of trying to figure out. Yeah, Google, to, Google wasn't around. <laughs> Google yeah. wasn't around. So I was buying magazines and yeah. stuff to try to figure out how they make this album, how they get this, this sound. Broken I, amplifiers. Broken amplifiers. I remember this is the first time I learned about like putting uh, an amplifier in a bathroom, filling the tub with water, um, pressing, like recording something, pressing it on vinyl, and then sampling that vinyl. Oh, man. Uh, you know, generations <laughs> of sound. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that was part of the secret of this album right. was, was that not everything there was direct. Beth is direct, you know, but a lot of the music has generations right. to it. It's it's been engineered with decay in a yeah. in a kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanna be a woman. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Saul Williams about Portishead's Dummy after a brief word from a couple of great Max Fun podcasts. Don't go anywhere. Dead Pilot Society brings you exclusive readings of comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Patton Oswalt. So the vampire from the future sleeps in the dude's studio during the day, and they hunt monsters at night. It's Blade meets the odd couple. Adam Scott and Jane Levy. Come on, Corey. She's too serious, too businessy. She doesn't know the hokey pokey. Well, she'll learn what it's all about. <laughs> Busy Phillips and Dave Keckner. Maybe this is family. My uncle Tell, who showed his wiener to Cinderella at Disneyland, is family. Do you want him staying with us? He did stay with us for three months. And he was a delight. <laughs> a new pilot every month, only on Dead Pilot Society for Maximum Fun. This is NASA. Uh, I see a flat Earth, but we should lie to everybody about it and say it's round 10-4. Maximum Fun brings you the latest podcast, an expose on the flat Earth. I want to take advantage of humankind and make them believe a lie so that they will trust us with the government. It's all an elaborate lie. And when you get on a plane, they purposefully fly you farther than you need to go. It's disgusting. It needs to be stopped. And if you listen to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, we will tell you the truth behind the lies. Just kidding. We won't do that. We will just tell you the truth behind the truth because what we do is we look at extraordinary claims. That's right. We've gone undercover with alternative medical treatments, fringe religious groups, fringe science claims, the spiritual paranormal. We're there to check it out and let you know what happens. Is the Queen Mary haunted? I don't know. Find out. We show up. We make friends. We learn what happens when you ask questions and we tell you all about it. And we get all that funky stuff done to us. It's Ono Ross and Carrie at MaximumFun.org. We are back on Heat Rocks talking about Dummy, the debut album from Portishead with our guest, Saul Williams. Did you get stuck on any favorites? Did you allow yourself to get stuck on any favorites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wandering Star, Numb. Um, my favorite was always Glory Box. It remains. Yeah. When I make playlists now, yeah. I'll still put Glory Box on it. Mm. Still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Morgan, how about you? I think Glory Box is unquestionable fire. Yeah. Um, is that your fire track, though? No. My fire track is It Could Be Sweet. Mm. Can I hear two seconds of that? Of Go course. ahead. Got to turn It's always that double time in this that always got me. This beat is one of my favorite on this album. And yeah, it could be sweet as... And not to say that um, 
not to say that I don't love her vocals on on all of these mm-hmm. tracks, but there's something about this and pedestal. Yeah. Um, that. You know, if you're in something complicated, you're like, it's okay, because uh, it could be sweet. Yep. And you don't get something for nothing is, in and of itself, yep. doesn't mean as much as when she sings it and she sings it on this song. And that, for me, is the standout track on here. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. I also remember that I was probably doing a lot of correlation between the way she was affecting me and the way Sade was mm. affecting yeah. me yeah. at this time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... I, it's true, actually, Close. that she was she was hitting me in in similar ways. I love Sade's writing. Her, I mean, her voice is extraordinary, of course. But, yeah, but her writing is fucking extraordinary. She's like maybe my first favorite poet as a teenager, mm. is Sade. And I'm I'm as you're saying this, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm hearing the discography. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. There's there's a lot of closeness here. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm always the basic one on, on this question about the fire track. I just I just go with kind of the obvious pick. <laughs> so I'm just going to cop to that. But for me, I mean, it's it's Sour Times. Oh, yeah. It's certainly the first track that uh, I ever remember hearing from Portishead. And it might be because I don't think I ever got the album in, but I got this 12-inch in as a promo mm. because I was working at the radio station at the time. And, I mean, of course, those opening bars are Ooh. so mysterious and alluring. You just want to know where is this? What is this? Number one, and where is it going? Where is this taking me? Just everything yeah, her about flow it. On that, that too, her flow. Crazy. The Lalo Schifrin sample, and again, mm. we got to come back to that in a moment because it does a lot of the work here, but certainly not all of it. The way that Beth's voice floats in. And, it, you know, I think for that reason, you know, Sour Times is, is if there is an enduring hit off of this, in terms of what people have sampled, what people get yeah. gets placed in movies and television shows at sour times. And this song is really ageless in a way. I think, I mean, the album in general, as we've been talking, is, is ageless. Me, yeah. But this track in particular, every time I hear it, it just takes me back those 25 years. And it's still just as mysterious and alluring as it was when I was first bumping at age, what, 22? I mean, it's it's chilling, the opening. And to your point, you don't know that that's what you're going to get from yeah. her when she starts singing. Yeah. And the instrumental by itself <sighs> yeah. is so cinematic. Right. Um, that's, you know, right. that's, I'm sure it's it's been placed, and I'll get into some of the placements, but in and of itself, by itself, it sounds like something that would be in one of those spy versus spy um, right. movies, mm-hmm. or one of those detective Right, but cross movies. with the spaghetti western. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but cross with that. Yeah. And then when you come into her vocal, by the time she gets to Nobody Loves Me, you're just like, yeah. damn it, Beth. I, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get into the placement. I mean, we're here. So, yeah, let's talk about this. All right. So, as you might imagine, Portishead has had several placements. I think 44. Whoa. 44 placements. Um, I I love that you know this. But, of course, you would. (laughs) But, sure. I love that you know this. Yep, I do. And the number one song that's been placed has been... Glory Box. Oh, I was wrong. I thought it was going to be Sour Times. My no. Bad. Okay. Glory Box has been placed a gang of times. Wow. Liv um, Tyler movie. What is that? Um, It's there anyway. Let's see. We've got Roseland. It's been placed on Love Island. It's been mm-hmm. placed on Flack, Top Gear, Person of Interest, Gotham, Defiance, My Mad Fat Diary, The L Word, The Watcher. Um, I'd like to see the scenes. I don't know the scenes. I was say, you said Love play. Island, the reality show. I don't actually. I don't want to see that scene. I don't really use it. It's I the Bertolucci film that got it right. It's the Bertolucci film with Liv Tyler that got it right. I can't remember. Christian stealing, stealing beauty. beauty. 
Shout All out to right. Christian. Shout yeah. out. Our producer coming through it in the clutch with that one. Yes. Yeah, so I would I, argue that that might even be the first one to use it. I don't know. Oh, my, it may be. That's been the most popular one. And after that has been, well, All Mine has had a couple of placements. Yeah. And uh, Sour Times has had several. Well, before we move on, I do want to, because I brought his name up, I just want to give some credit here because I do think that on Sour Times, a lot of the work in the very beginning is from Lalo Schifrin, who was just such a gifted composer from the 1960s and 70s. And certainly a lot of beat diggers back in the 90s were mining his entire catalog, just going yeah. to the sure. store, like other music, going through the yeah. soundtrack you know, section and just pulling on anything that had his name on it. Yeah. Uh, and Sour Time uses the Danube incident, which is from the more Mission Impossible theme. So the spy versus spy thing, mm-hmm. Morgan, you nailed oh. it. I wonder if people who are fans of Mission Impossible from the 60s and 70s would have heard the Portis head and be like, oh, that's, yeah, <laughs> right. and then it's had their head blown or something like along those lines. That yeah. Isaac sure. Hayes sample in Glory oh, Box. Oh, my Ike's God. Rex. Also my brilliant. God. That's brilliant. I know I abused you. I took advantage of you. And I used you selfishly. You know, and listening to the Hayes right now, what's so interesting is that Hayes has that kind of atmospheric voice on here. And even though his baritone you would, you know, is on the opposite end of Beth's voice, the affect to me feels... Oh, it's very similar. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very into... I'm, I'm getting more and more into people who know how to talk over music. Sure. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Talking over music is a thing. And yeah, he's, he's definitely built... I mean, he was very much working with orchestras and, and huge... In the same way that Barry White was. Sure. Yeah. You know? Sure. So yeah, it's a big sound. It's a vibe. He definitely was building atmosphere. And it's, it is similar to what they're building there of course he goes a different direction sure once the music continues you know but if you think about perfect albums in terms of establishing just a vibe and i want to give credit out to emily lordy who just wrote a piece about hot buttered soul for the new yorker which was Mm. fantastic Mm. but that album in terms of setting a vibe yeah i mean oh my god so yeah we've started talking a little bit about this earlier and specifically in the first half when saul was pointing out one of his favorite moments the break that's in glory box Morgan, do you have a favorite moment off of this album? I want to say Strangers, which is the song, but I like that it doesn't sound like anything else on this album. Mm. She sounds very, very far away. And I've wondered, since this album came out, who made the decision to to make her have that sound? It's the one that makes her, to me, sound the most distant. Mm. And listening to that it almost sounds like a live album in one sense mm. and like she's very, very far away. And to me, because it doesn't sound like anything else on the album, that's one of my favorite moments. When Can that I song hear that for in. two seconds? Of course. Can anybody see the light? Sometimes we talk about personnel, and I don't know who the personnel was on here, who the engineers were. Was this a, a studio construct, or was this actually a decision? Like, listen, by her, this is how I want to sound. Mm-hmm. I want. Yeah. She sounds childlike and small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It isn't intimate, and it isn't sexy. It's innocent, and it's yeah. small. So the moment is really when you hear her in that, almost like filtered through the AM radio yeah. sound. And it's funny because when I was listening to Strangers, and the beat drops in, yeah. and that moment on Strangers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go from Oof. AM trying to get the signal through the mountains to just full on bazooka full stereo <laughs> FM oh right there. God, yo. <laughs> That's yo. it. That is it. It's interesting because you were saying how this for you, Morgan, was your favorite moment because it didn't sound like anything else in the album. And I picked my favorite moment off of this is also something that I thought didn't sound like anything else I heard on here, which is on it's uh it's on the song It's a Fire. 
and it comes during the hook where Beth is singing, so uh, breathe on, sister, breathe on. Mm. And there's the organ chords in the background and something about the combination between what she's saying vocally, but especially those organ chords in the back. I can't It's almost like I feel like she actually lowered her voice a little bit because sure. she's so high in so many other songs. And this one, she's bringing it down. And but it, again, it's the combination between lowering the voice, just the idea of breathing on. I don't even know what that means in this context, but it just feels like something. Sure. But those chords. Yeah. Haunting. Haunting. Ominous. The thing that also tripped me out about Portishead is that it was the first time, like I said, it's right before I start making music. And I re- remember being blown away by the fact that there is engineer was a part of their group mm. Jeff Barrows you know what I'm saying like yeah I mean like we usually like well you know so and so mixed this album so and so mixed this album but the person who mixed their album their right. engineer is a member of the group which is fundamental to the sound of it. I mean that's yeah. kind of an obvious sure. point yeah. here but it really yeah. it matters in this it in this matters case. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not every album that's like, it's, right. it's actually a rarity for albums absolutely it's a rarity yeah you know so that that's the first time I had ever heard of that. And that's the first time I ever thought about album engineering. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say, you know, it would be great to talk to the engineer or find out about the engineering that goes into this album because it, it, is, it is what adds something and yeah. onto the album. This is obviously an album that you have spent much, much time with. And when you listen to it now, Mm. what do you hear differently, if anything? Or is it the same effect that when you were listening to it 25 years ago? This album does not get old. It feels as fresh now when it pops up on my shuffle. And I'm like, you know, and and now I'm shuffling like gigabytes of music as opposed to five CDs, you know, but, um, but still I'm, I'm, I'm always happy. And I have to say that also as a group, Portishead has not gotten old. Like they, they, they need, you know, definitely much, I give them much respect for consistency. Like every Portishead album to date and all the remixes. And I used to go to the UK and find all the remix stuff. There's bootleg live albums. I'm t- talking about the, the the live album that came out officially. My, I think my favorite Glory Box remix might be called Sheared Box. Mm. Their best remixes are done by then. That's gangster. <laughs> Yo, straight up. You know, and so like I would get the singles so I could get the pieces. The same thing I was doing with Radiohead, you know, like all sure. the all the B-sides from like the Pyramid songs, oh, single, sure. like all that. There's so much shit, you know what I'm saying? Wormholes. They, I, I, it still feels fucking amazing. It still feels amazing when I listen to it now. Why do you think trip hop didn't last? Mm, I wouldn't argue that it didn't last. Um you know what I'm saying? Hip hop, trip hop is is extremely present. I mean, when I listen to Frank Ocean Blonde, I hear the influence of Portishead. Oh, wow. Sure, mm-hmm. but but the yeah. output of albums like we went from this to Lamb or Chiba, Funky Percini, DJ Shadow. Blah, blah, blah. I don't think I don't think one the trip hop cats were never really trying. They were never cool with that term. Sure. They weren't calling themselves trip hop artists. Right. I saw right. Tricky almost like you know knock somebody out, right? Because they called his shit trip hop. He's like, I make music, yo. So one, the sound and the desire of what you want to hear. It's a, it's it's the same thing with the boom bap and hip hop. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you can hear a Joey Badass shit or something and be like, oh, he likes boom bap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know, like it's it's the sound evolved. 
You know what I'm saying? And 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 trip hop is at the same moment as the boom bap. Right. And so I think it's just an evolution of sound. I think someone that evolved from that beautifully, because a lot of them, you know, like a lot of the drum and bass cats are still making extraordinary experimental uh, music. You know, um, I still am in contact with a great many of these artists from Bristol, like Ronnie Size, like Crust. Um, and and they're still doing amazing stuff. I think Massive Attack's sound has even evo- has evolved. Sure. Um, you know, and and you hear some of the stuff they do with groups like Young Fathers or what have you. And you, oh, you for sure. yeah, and you you see that it's you know taken up dif- space differently. Whereas drum and bass to me also has not gotten old. I still I still don't know if drum and bass has peaked. <laughs> yeah, because when I hear it, I mean, I was just at festivals in the UK over the summer, and whenever I would hear it, I'd be like, "Fucking hell, this shit is so damn hard." Yeah, I'm not certain trip hop ever died. It's just the labels that died. Sure, but that attention to music and sound—that I mean, like the only thing that could kill that is like you know, I don't know, three Swedish guys in a studio writing a song for a pop star <laughs> don't call it up because I'm going to leave here tonight and get in the car we'll be like oh damn you know Saul told us Saul prophesied that this was going to happen but uh but shout out to 1994 and uh for, for it was a, and it's a, it's a crazy time because this is also you know there are the the, the you know 94 the Rwanda genocide happens in 94 mm. sure. it's a it's a I mentioned it's my first trip to the continent at that time um there's there's a lot of shit going on that this um album reflects in terms of its depth and and beauty because that's the other thing is that I, it was the first album perhaps that I maybe not the first because um, I was definitely listening to Sade long before this thing came out. Hauntingly beautiful. You said it earlier. Yeah, it's really uh, which is sometimes my favorite description of a film. Like if something right. is described as hauntingly beautiful, I might be the one to check it out. Like, I, I want to know what that is. Yeah. Is, it, yeah. is it? You know, does it live up to it? But this this is definitely that. You know, it's hauntingly beautiful, mm-hmm. and uh, and it yeah, it it's still very much alive for me. It doesn't sound old to me. It doesn't sound old to me at all. And I still feel like a lot of you know artists who fuck around in this area got a lot of catching up to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I did. I hadn't listened to it in a while until prep for this chat. Yeah, and that was one of the first my first observations. Like this still sounds just as fresh. Yeah, yeah. As the yeah. day I didn't I didn't listen to it and be like, oh damn, it's nineteen ninety four. No, it just sounded just as fresh to me mm-hmm. as the last time. Yeah, that I heard and it. this is you know ninety four is around the same time as like uh, you're all I need Method Man and Mary. Uh, Mary, yeah, right. I remember because yeah. I remember that on the CD changer as well. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you have fire uh, in your in your starting oh, five. Yo 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 yo, we were crushing it in the house, yo. <laughs> if I list the people that I brought in even to listen to this out, I mean because we would have arguments. I remember having an argument with Yasin about this album. And, 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 you know, Yasin Bey is most deaf to yeah. some people, da, da, da. Right. but we're at this time, we're all performing at a place called the Brooklyn Moon Cafe, which is right down the street on Fulton Street in Brooklyn. It's still there. And, and so the people that we're vibing with at this time are Erica, um, Talib Kwali, who works at the book, worked at the bookstore and Kiru Books around the corner, um, the Dead Press guys, they're all there. And we're all coming by the house. We're all listening to exactly this. This is what I played in my house. I didn't play any of that. New York shit in my house because this existed mm. and I could hear that shit in the street and that's all I heard in the street mm. so this was the vibe of the house was was this trip hop and drum and bass shit and having arguments about like but this is hip hop and I remember like Yasin being like yeah, uh, is it hip hop I don't know <laughs> and, and actually my favorite moment with this dude <laughs> to this day is one night um, maybe a year a year and a half later we had listened to um, some Portishead uh, not Porter said to uh, to Bjork, State of Emergency. Mm. Okay, and it's in the same disc changer at this time. It might be a year later or so, but uh, but it, I know I'm still in Brooklyn, um, so it's somewhere between '94 and '96, right? And so we're coming back to Brooklyn in a cab from Manhattan, and we had we had had an argument about a year earlier. Like I don't know if this is hip hop, yo. And I'm like, this is hip hop, yo. It's a game of telephone. It's just this shit coming back, and blah, blah, blah. but they white, you know. Like yeah. we were having this crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember the windows are down, so it must be spring, and most Yasin starts singing, 
State of Emer. And I feel like it's the best Yasin Bey concert I've ever been to <laughs> is in that taxi Man. with him singing Bjork. But it's definitely in that CD changer with Porter Said Dummy. <laughs> See, your, your CD yeah. changer was fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. We just yeah, need yeah. a show on that. What, the starting five? Your starting five. All right, life. all right. We'll book that. We'll book that for later. Saul, so, if you had to describe dummy in three words, what three mm. words would they be? Does of count as a word? Whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. What, whatever you want to put in your, your... No, I'm just thinking of the beginning of forever. I, I'm with that. Absolutely. Yeah. If you loved hearing Dummy, we have some recommendations for the next thing that you should check out. Morgan, you want to start us off? I would say if you like Dummy um, and you and you have not heard this album, I won't assume that you have and there's no judgment if you have not, but you need to go immediately to A Sterile Breath from Another. Mm-hmm. comes out in 1998, so it's later. Um, it doesn't have um, the same level of beats, but it has the same level of, of intimacy. It has um, Estero's inimitable voice, and it is, I think, the daughter or the son of this album. That Who's would the be first me. to place Estero in a movie? I'll tell you, I am. Oh, what? yeah! <laughs> I fought for that album, country song. I think is the name of the yeah, yeah to be. In Slam. Shout out to you yep, right yep, now. Yep, yep, yep. It's a great album, mm-hmm. and it's one that um, that I wish someone would come on Heat Rocks and want to talk about. I'm surprised yeah. no one has picked that album um, yet. Uh, people need to know the connection, right? Because Estero's Ast- voice vault. <sighs> I'll just leave it at that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I want so This is a tough one because I just feel like from Portishead, you can jump in a lot of different directions. And I'm going to call an audible and actually reference back to an album that came up during our conversation, which is Isaac Hayes' Hot Buttered Soul. Because mm. I think if you want to talk about the, the, the ability to establish a sound, a vibe, an atmosphere and have a voice be such an integral part of it. Mm. And Isaac's been on my mind for just for a couple of weeks now because mm. we recently taped an episode which will either air close to this one. We were talking about the emotions and talking about Rejoice, which mm. was yeah. which was a group working with Maurice White. But of course, the emotions start with Stax and Volt. They're working with Isaac, and just you think about everything that Isaac touched in his life. Someone who was certainly taken away way too soon in terms of just the, the talent that he had to share. And when you go back and listen to those albums, I mean, we I, I feel like you know we talk about. Talk about James Brown. We talk about Marvin. We talk about Stevie. We talk about Curtis. I mean, all legit. I feel like Isaac doesn't get enough credit for just the pure genius of music that he was able to produce, and in, in, especially in that moment, and the, the level of symphonic and orchestral well, yeah. soul and weight that he brought to the, the album. The thing to me with Isaac Hayes, because I remember, and, and it's directly connected to this, because, of course, I sought out where the sample came from yeah. and all this stuff, and so it, this is 94. I signed my first record deal in 98, and, and I'm working with Rick Rubin, and I tell him I want to make hip-hop music with movements. Mm. I want to have movements. Yes, right. You know, because at that time, the boom bap is like the beat that you hear at the top right. of the song. Right, it's very straight. You, it's yeah. straight. It's yeah. one loop that's going to go all the way through. Right. And, I'm, and, and Isaac Hayes had me thinking like, holy shit, what, yeah. what happens if we do this shit with movements? Can there be more changes? Can there be, you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Where should people go after Dummy? Yo, if you're listening to Porter Said Dummy and it's your first time and you want to just keep the vibe, first of all, I would say listen to Tricky Nearly God. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nearly God, which is not Max and Q, which is is not 
premillennium tension or angel with dirty faces nearly god was was another thing i purchased at other music Shout out to other music that was a great story. yeah that was just one of the weirdest albums in this genre but at the time it was so fucking weird i mean it, it was on it was on Divine Styler type level. I don't know if you guys know who Divine Styler Oh, yeah. Styler, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. I'd be like making the first maybe psychedelic right. uh, hip hop album back in like 89 or some shit. Autumn Spirals of Light. Yeah. <laughs> that, that cover was pretty yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But Nearly God, he's got, he's got Bjork on there. He's, uh, there's this song Poems on there, You Promise Me Poems, which is just beautiful. I rue the day that I ever met you and deeply regret you getting close to me. And then maybe I'll do like uh, this is ninety eight, but I'd say um, but so is the <laughs> the the Estero album. Oh, yeah. I would do um, Goldie Saturn's Return. Ooh wee! Hello. Ooh wee! <laughs> Hello. Ooh-wee. Yo yo! And I say that for one song. Which one? Mother. 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 <laughs> Mother. Holy yes. shit! Yo, yes. yo, I can tell you right now, New Year's Eve, was it, not, yeah, 1998 into 1999, still living in Brooklyn, everybody at my crib, it's a different, it's, I'm, I used to be on Claremont, now I'm on Clinton or whatever, um, but I'm still in the same neighborhood, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, bunch of people over, New Year's Eve, we sit around, what are you thankful for? Whatever the fuck, you know, corny shit that people want to do, joking, blah, 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 blah. But at 11.30, I started Mother. And that was because I knew that the beat would drop at midnight. Uh Mother is a perfectly timed, beautiful fucking song that, is it Goldie singing? I can feel my mother yes. surrounding me. I mean, it's so intimate and raw, and it takes exactly 30 minutes for the beat to drop, but it builds. That will do Yo. it for this episode of Mm-mm. Heat Rocks. Mm-mm. Extra large episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Saul Williams. Yo. You ain't right. So- <laughs> you ain't right, brother. You know, I'm ready to go in. <laughs> you do that jazz shit, too. Mm. <laughs> um, what are you working on now? Uh, so I'm about to go direct um, my first feature, which is called Neptune Frost. It's a musical um, that, I'm, uh, that I've written and am directing in Rwanda. Wow. Uh, I'm leaving in three weeks. I'll be there for five months. I uh, have to build a set. It's a story of an intersex runaway from Uganda mm. and a Colton miner um, who, who run away from their separate realities for different reasons. And the time that they run away, they encounter this avatar who visits them in a dream and leads them to this village that um, essentially is a village made of old computer parts and when they arrive it turns on and the rest is you have, you have to wait mm. yeah. congrats on having the first directorial feature that's awesome thank you Yeah. and where can people find you online Saul Williams uh, everywhere Boom. yeah just at Saul Williams You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Florent. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. We also want to thank our social media fans and family, including the following. 
Rastafer J. Shout out to Rastafer J. Thank you so much uh, for bringing up drum and bass. We talked a little bit about drum and bass. We talk, bought up LTJ, Bookham, Fabio, Four Hero, Ronnie Size, etc. Thank you for shouting those names out. We also want to thank Gregory the Aight, who continues to shout us out. Aight. Thank you. He's at, at Driven to Drink. Um, no judgment. Uh, we also want to thank An Earful, at An Earful, shouting out Mark Richardson. We also want to shank. We also want to shank. <laughs> yes. We also want to shank um, Andre Doughty at Never a Doubt. Love that. Thank you so much uh, for tuning into the show. We also want to thank Shimmering Trash Pile. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to Shimmering Trash Pile. Laid Law Media. Thank you so much for the love. As always, we want to shout, shout out Dad Bod Rap Pod for the great work they do on their podcast and for always showing us love. We do so appreciate it. Lastly, we want to thank Ashley Dior Thomas, who had a listen to Garrett Kennedy's beautiful episode on Whitney Houston, Fuzzy One, and Frederick Smith. We do so appreciate the Tweezies and the Retweezies. And before we get out of here, here's a tease of a forthcoming episode with Dr. Shauna Redman, a scholar who joined us to talk about the 1991 album Forever My Lady from Jodeci. I think that the kind of aesthetic practice of, of Jodeci, the boots, the baggy jeans, yeah. the baggy shorts that reach your ankles, you yeah. know, the tight tank tops, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that type of stuff was a welcome for men, perhaps, in certain types of ways. But R&B has always kind of appealed to women, perhaps, first, right? That's your first audience. But I do think there's something to me about having been drawn to it for that reason, right? Because I'm supposed to be, right? That there's a certain pitch toward um, that type of listening audience. But also something for me about growing up in the Midwest where hip hop was not as prominent in this moment Mm. unless Mm. we were pulling from the coasts, Mm. right? So we didn't have the Kanye's, the Commons, the Eminem's, the folks who were repping hard for the Midwest. So this was really my lane as far as popular music was concerned. Yo, but you went to plastics, yo! Listen, I can't believe you. There were so many places that I went to in Atlanta where yo. I thought, how did I get here? And so many strange nights where anything could happen, Funk Jazz Cafe. and Atlanta was such an amazing moment musically at that time. So I moved there from New York in 1990. Okay. Right? It's freshman week at Morehouse. And one of my boys has a pickup truck. So we jump in the back of the pickup truck and go to the masquerade because DJ Disciple is spinning. All right? Go to the masquerade. Freshman week. So this is August 1990. And it's about 3.30, 4 a.m. And we're like, my peeps are like, yo, we're going to break out. We're heading towards the door. And I hear, I'm like, yo, what is this? Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I hear hot music for the first time. Run to the DJ booth. He's like, hot music, hot music, Soho, Soho, house music, look. Every party we went to after that, from that week on, like, yo, do you have hot music? So we danced to that song, and we're about to leave now after we lost our shit. And next thing that comes on is <laughs> Fela Lady. Oh. Fela Lady in a club.
So that and that encapsulates. I'm gonna rip this off for the next my, thing I DJ. Yeah. Put those two songs <laughs> yo, yo, back yeah, yeah, yeah. That encapsulates my time musically in Atlanta. It's really pure because, like I said, I did I had no intention of writing poetry or music while I'm there. I'm dancing for a hip hop group at that time. Sure. Um, um, but and I'm and I'm listening to hella music. I'm starting to buy shit. I'm starting listening to jazz and shit like that. But also Lenny Kravitz and yeah. all you know right. all the pop shit and and hip hop. Yeah. shit is popping off but I'm starting to like explore a little bit because some of my friends came with their parents music collections and I'm starting to hang with DJs more and all this shit and I'm like what's that yo oh that's Lou Bond that's hard you know like just weird obscure shit I'm learning about digging in the crates and finding you know like all this shit starting to listen to the shit that the shit I love samples right sure you know and uh, Atlanta is that for me it opened so much for me musically same yeah and, yeah. I, and it comes up a lot on this show because I talk about, you know, moments, albums that I discovered yeah. that I discovered in Atlanta. And I think it had a lot to do with all these things that you're talking oh about. Oh, my God. Um, Wax and Facts had a lot to do with it. Wax and Facts, um, yo. WCOK, Criminal Records. All of that. Come on. Loretta's, Yang Yang, Funk Jazz Cafe, Plastics. All, all these places yep. helped to give me this give me this life. And, yeah. And also... Um, you know, coming out of like house music was house sort of the gateway music. drug for everything else. Well, yeah, yeah. All, for, for all of that other. Come stuff. on, there was yeah. no. I mean, that it's really about that house music because most of those clubs were killing it in those terms. I used to be a party promoter in Atlanta too. I used to promote parties mm. with Lil John. Oh uh, right, okay. Yeah, at, at a place called <laughs> the Royal Peacock. Oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Royal Peacock. And so I threw I threw these parties called Soul. Um, right there on what is that? Edgemont, whatever. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where I forget the name of that street. Yeah, but where the Royal Peacock is, and and all I did is I stole a concept from a party that I loved in New York, and brought it to Atlanta, and it was my first time ever making money, and the party in New York that I, what there was a thing in New York called Soul Kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, legendary, I, yeah. Legendary, legendary. Which I used to, it would cost five dollars. And you'd go in there, and they had free 40s and chicken wings. And all they played at Soul Kitchen was the soul records that hip hop, popular hip-hop songs sampled. Yeah. But popular in 1992. Yeah, right. you know, yeah. Like, then yeah, yeah. It was the shit. And so I got a bunch of DJs together and said, this is what we're going to do. And so, like... Uh, there's mad peeps now, like uh, who are popular DJs and artists, who are the DJs that I'd put together mm-hmm. for this soul party in Atlanta. And yeah, it's the first time I ever got to like dump, m- you know, money on my bed and go like, oh shit, <laughs> look at us. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Music, Listen, yo. If you Music. if you can't get to Bristol, then you sure need to get to Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta was the scene. Oh my god. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported